welcome once again to uh, This Nation's Finest Golf Podcast, hosted by myself and Tim O'Connor. It is the award-winning Swing Thoughts, brought to you by TaylorMade, number one driver in all of golfdom, as well as Clublink. Never been a better time to join Clublink. What's, what's the matter? Don't you want to play golf a lot at a very affordable price? What's that, sir? Even though it's February. Don't worry about February. Oh, I see. I now I need now I know what I need to do. I need to turn this down while turning you up. Hang on. Here we go. That was the only thing because you're on the same thing. It doesn't matter. Hey, everybody. Tim and I are for the first time uh, using the wonder that is Skype. Yes, it is a marvelous technology. Because I get to see Tim's in his uh, basement study. It looks like in a uh, a lovely chair. Yes, I should have my bookcase behind me to make me look studious in my study. What is that room, by the way? Is that where you go? Yeah, I see a microphone in the background. What is that all about? Oh, this is this is the lair. This is where it all happens with the uh, the minstrel son, oh. the, the the songster. This is where he crafts his craft and he sings his songs and records them and shares them with the world. Yeah, very talented uh, kid. I, I'm not sure if we talked about this on the last show, but I, I saw him, a performance you had uh, had shared on your Facebook, and he's very talented. Yeah, uh, thanks. I'm, yeah, we, we talked about that. Annoyingly so. We could keep talking about this, but I think people are, uh, are not tuning in if one tunes into a podcast. Uh, to hear us talk about our kids. Oh, we could talk. How's, how's your kids, man? I mean, hey, hey, listen. Don't you worry about what people are tuning in to do or not to do. This thing could, this could just be for you and me, and it would still be of value. Um, my kids are fine. <laughs> okay. uh, my kids are fine. The young one just completed. Uh, I don't even want to talk about it. It's so weird. She took oh, a uh, she took a seven week uh, stand up course. Oh wow. You know, trying the family business. Anyway, I went and saw her on uh, Saturday night at Second City in Toronto. And, uh, you know, I, I guess a lot of parents go through this. I'm sure you do with Corey, your singing son. But, you know, you're, I was so unnerved for her because, you know, going up on stage and doing anything is a bit of a challenge. But when you're doing stand-up, it's just the worst thing. So, I mean, it is. You know, it's like there's no... Um, a joke is either funny or it's not. Anyway, she did fine, but I was more nervous watching her than I was for my own, you know, when I go up because it's like, I don't want, you don't want, you don't want your kid to be in harm's way, but she did fine. I get it. I, I wonder if this is interesting. This could be actually fodder for you for a stand-up routine. Oh yeah. But, um, like when I would watch Sean is, was my, uh, hockey playing son. He played at a very high level, uh, in minor hockey and I would get so amped up for the games. And one thing that I was always aware of is that when I was in the stands, I was watching them play, I'd be moving my body. <laughs> like, you know, I'd see some open ice to the left, so I'd start to lean to the left, <laughs> or, or I'd get myself ready for a check in the corner. I, like, I wonder, does the father of a stand-up, do, do, do you sort of like well, I, was, uh, I think I was over laughing. I think that's what I was doing. I was trying to, because she got some laughs, but I was like really laughing hard to make sure that she didn't, you know, bomb. But she did fine, but it was unnerving. You know, anyway, again, we all go through this as parents watching our children. Uh, on today's show, which is the first one we've done in a while, you um, you were away. You've had a vacation. I'm going on vacation. But uh, by the time um, 
all this gets sort of wrapped up. We're going to be into March. And yes. March is uh, dangerously close to the beginning of the golf season. Excitingly close. So I've actually, are you still in contact with some of your clients? Absolutely. Yep. So and what do you guys talk new, about in the winter Adding wintertime? new clients. Well, um, well, it was interesting. Yesterday I was talking with a client who's been working with his swing coach and making a lot of progress, particularly around just not trying to do it right so much and just think of being more in, in sort of contact with the club head and that sense of awareness that you and I talk about a lot. And then he started talking about, gosh, I wonder if I can get this going for like the tournament. He's, his first tournament is the Ontario Better Ball, the one that you play in usually. Yeah, my, uh, um, yeah it's April, my qualifying date is uh, April 30th. Yeah, his too. And so he's wondering how, you know, this stuff that he's been working on, which has been great, uh, feeling his swing a little bit more, freeing it up. You know, how will that translate into tournaments where he's struggled? Um, you know, typically he's the type of guy who can shoot low 70s, but often just, you know, blows it in tournaments. And I said, well, you need to be practicing for tournaments now. You know, it's not just show up at a tournament and, you know, just start you know, focusing on process and, and different things. It's, it's working on process now and bringing those mindset of, of hitting shots and having a routine where you get ready for a shot, you execute, you let that shot go, get ready for the next shot. So that's the types of types of things that uh, I've been working on with some of my clients. Um, it's interesting that idea of working on your golf swing in the winter time with an eye toward you know how that might manifest itself come the golf season and two days ago it finally got warm enough here that i went out with stan the office dog and myself and a golf club for the first time this year and just chipping balls in our little park area there and uh you know just kind of getting the feel of a golf club and the ball kind of moving through the air for the first time and it was it was great because I really haven't worked on any golf swing stuff. And I thought, you know, just to sort of gentle myself into the the process and not, you know, judge any of it. It was just kind of interesting. And, but you know that in two months from now, I'm basically going to be under tournament conditions for the first time. Right. And and I was sort of, sort of thinking that I don't want to put too much pressure on myself to go out early in April and find my game. You just sort of have to, you know, kind of ease into it. And I would say to your client or anyone listening that, you know, you can't really expect too much too soon. You just hope that over the course of time that it seeps into your game somehow. And we all, you and I have spent a lifetime trying to make, you know, profound changes to our golfing motion. Mm -hmm. When really the, the, the secret that we have both, I think, discovered is that the golfing motion is, you know, it varies from from day to day, from week to week. It's more about what's going on uh, attitudinally that has more impact ultimately on your game. Yeah, well said, sir. Um, yeah, you just don't know what golf swing is going to show up day to day. I think that's, you know, if there's a, a, a key realization that you and I have come up with is that just one never knows. You know, I think that's why you see on the tour a guy can shoot a, a 64 and the next day shoot a, 
a 73. But I think what the key thing is, is that can you take that sense of, of freedom you know, to the golf course and, and just let her rip? Like I was talking with a, a friend of mine yesterday who's a pretty good player, and he was saying that, that almost every year he can count on it. His first or second game is, is among his best all year because he's just happy to be out there. He's just letting it go, enjoying the company. Wow, is it fabulous to be on a golf course again. Mm-hmm. So he's not in this state of, oh, is this motion that I've been working on, is this actually working? And am I doing it right? Am I making the progress that I've wanted to? So it's having that sense of freedom to be able to bring it whenever you play that I think really unleashes yourself to to be able to play your best golf because you get the hell out of your own way. Um, no, I, I, I agree. It's interesting that first, you know, couple of weeks of the season, it's almost like you're so grateful to have the opportunity to yeah. do it. And similarly, I think a lot of us just have those rounds late in the season because you feel like, you know, around in late October or early November, you're kind of like stealing one. Yes. And so you're not concerned about all those that midsummer uh, treves, you know, the trials and tribulations of your golf game seem to seep away. And it's interesting. Those those rounds are the seasons bookended by lack of expectation early and late. But why is it come June, July and August? We think uh, we have to be great every time we play. Because we're conditioned, we're we are brainwashed. I mean, really, um, is the is the whole idea of golf to get better? Is is that why we play golf? Is that it? Is, is that the the mantra? Is mm-hmm. is that the why everyone plays golf is to get better? You know, if only I can reduce my handicap from from you know twenty to eighteen or twelve to ten or finally start shooting in the low seventies, am I finally going to be happy? If that's what golf is all about, wow, that is a roller coaster of emotions. And I think that that's some interesting to look at. Is like is again, this is why do you play golf? Yeah. And is it to be free? I mean, you talked to use that word uh, grateful, you know, at the beginning and end of the season. Wow, I like that's a heart-based emotion. That's being, you know, expansive. We've talked about this stuff. It goes back to the chat we had with uh, Judson Brewer about contracted, inside, judging, self-referential, all that stuff. Inwardly tends, focused. Yeah, which tends, which tend to be, as you were talking about, a player in, in say, you know, May and June. Oh, am I making the progress? You know, am I getting my handicap down? How am I going to play in this tournament? All that, you know, chatter that goes on in the brain versus being, say, grateful and that is more expansive. That's being happy to be out there, happy to have the players, happy to be. You've got a this body that allows you to, to take advantage of this, you know, beautiful golf course. That's a very different way to play. And and I think that that if I here's here's something like again, Fred Shoemaker, yes, guru of mine. <laughs> people get tired of hearing him. He talked about a lot of people think that okay, if. If I start to shoot lower scores and play better, I will have freedom, peace of mind, and be happy. And he argues, and I, and I agree, that I think that freedom, peace of mind, and happiness come first. And then I think that that will seep into your golf game 
And by playing with a sense of freedom, then good things happen and they the bonus is, oh, play better, hit the ball better without trying hard. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Shoemaker is a uh, smart guy and uh, says a lot of smart things. And, uh, you know, that's the, it's it's true of even if you want to be a great tournament player, you know, I told you before we started recording today that I, you know, I've set out my whole schedule for the summer and I know the qualifiers I'm playing in. And, you know, the problem with the Canadian schedule is that, you know, we're expected to play at a pretty high level without really having, you know, not played very much. I know a lot of guys listening have gone away and, you know, I, I haven't played a, a round of golf since early December and I haven't played a round of golf that mattered, mattered in, ter- in a tournament sense since, you know, sometime in October. And so come April 30th, now the, the, the good thing about the better ball is I've got a great partner. He's a million times better than me. And Charles Fitzsimmons, you know, really, I could just caddy for him and we're going to get into the tournament. <laughs> so it's a nice way to sort of start the season. Yeah. But pretty early in May, you know, I've got a, a, a mid-am qualifier. Then after that, we have the, you know, a couple other big tournaments in May. Then the senior, you know, club championship. I, got, I, I made the um, George S. Lion team. So there's some oh, good tournaments. that's so cool. That's a big event. Yeah, and so there's some big tournaments that I'm going to want to play well in. Mm-hmm. But I also know that there are other tournaments. And so, you know, it'll it'll all work itself out because... As you know, we were sort of also talking before the show, even at the highest level of golf, you know, you always hear about guys, they missed the cut, they missed the cut, they won the tournament. Mm. And I think the thing to remember, I guess what I'm trying to say is that not every round of golf and not every tournament you play in has to mean everything. It can, only, it can just mean that you didn't have a good tournament. Uh, I don't know if how I, I can't remember exactly what you were saying that started this last diatribe of mine, but you know, maybe not putting the the pressure and importance on every single round you play um, to give you the peace of mind, happiness, and uh, whatever it is you're seeking from every round. Because, you know, there are going to be days it's just not there. Yeah. Well, I think one of the really interesting things that people lose sight of is why do they play this game? I mean, I work with every client I start with, I have them do the same exercise. They get three sheets of paper and they put across the top why I play golf. And I just have them just write and just keep that pen moving. Don't stop. And, you know, I invite our great listenership of Swing Thoughts to take a shot at this. And just keep writing. And that way you get out of your head, out of thinking, and get more into your subconscious. And uh, I love the beauty of Skype. I love the, the <laughs> lighting. Okay, keep going. Okay, I'm being distracted now. I'm being distracted now. But to write out why I play golf, and people are surprised by the stuff that shows up. It's it's not the usual things that come up. It's I want to break 80. I want to beat my obnoxious brother-in-law, this or that. It's more connected to maybe those things that initially got you into the game, uh, the sense of freedom you had, You know, just you and the golf course and a couple of buddies. You know, you're running around laughing. Whatever. You just love the connection, just being outside. Everyone has different reasons. But I think what often happens is that people, because of almost like this brainwashing of I've, I've got to show up in this tournament and play well and, and look good. And is this, you know, is And the if I don't, I, what does that say about me? 
Exactly. You know, you know, does this mean I suck? I'll always suck. I'm a crappy athlete. You know, that vort, you know, the death vortex that people go into thinking. But I think when you're really connected to why do you play, then I think there's a sense of a better sense of balance there. And a tournament, whether you play well in it or you do not, does not define you. It's more of just, and, and I think that if if I stay connected to to why I want to play, and for me, I've committed to. I I just want to have a sense of freedom. I want to be able to laugh and have fun. And the odd thing is, is that when I'm committed to freedom, holy crap, I tend to play pretty well. Well, and that's. Uh, very beautiful. Thank uh, you. It's Tim. <laughs> it's a very beautiful thing. Um, well, the thing about... Just, we're what? giddy today because of this Skype We're thing. all Skypey now. Yes. What we're doing is we're Skyping. We're so, we're so up with technology. Pretty soon we'll put up our Insta stories on as well. Exactly. Um, uh, no, what you said about playing well there, that's why I was giggling because the irony, the ironical part of it all is that you know, feeling connected and uh, a sense of freedom and all that other wonderful, lovely stuff. And I'm being sincere. What it does is it takes some of the pressure off what that number is at the end. You know, you know, I, I don't want people to think like I, I, I felt bad when I missed the cut at the mid-am, but I felt great about the fact that I was there and I, I got to participate and it wasn't very long. Yeah, it's done. Like the thing is, Things sting, and that's fine. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a drag when you don't do as well as you'd hope to because you're, if you're competitive, that's what you want to do. It's how you wear it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it does, I don't wear it the way I used to. And I think a lot of people, that's what we're all going for is can you enjoy the process of trying to get better at the actual mechanics of the game while really loving the expansive nature of the interactivity and all the being out in the the universe yeah that i mean that may sound you know way out there and very nice rainbows unicorns etc but again why do you play this thing i mean to me it's so stupid to think about people getting mad throwing clubs being angry calling themselves names uh, why do you play golf? Well, um, I like to be outside and play with my friends. <laughs> and you get angry? I get it in a tournament. You know, we're all most of the people who who probably listen to this show are avid players, played since they were kids, or they're just really competitive. Yeah, we get excited about playing well. You know, you're you find I find my if I find myself you know four or five over with a couple holes to play. Ooh, I'm I'm excited. Yeah, even you know, if you're competitive with yourself. Yeah, it's great to to me. It's always great shooting, you know, kind of mid mid seventies. That's exciting. I, I can't deny that. Mm-hmm. But it, but again, it, it won't define me. And if I don't manage to do that, I'm now in a place where I'm able to go. I could kind of reflect on it and go like, "Wow, what happened there? Golly, on sixteen, I think I had a death grip on the driver, and that's why I booted it dead right." So I can learn about that. And so what I'm going to connect this to, so you and I have known each other now three, four years. And when you were first trying to make it in the mid-am, whether Ontario, Canadian, uh, I think you missed both cuts. Mm-hmm. And now you've made cuts. Like, just look at the learning. 
that you've that you've you've got from this and you've you know it's just helped you in, in just so many ways and so it's really keeping big picture in in many regards in terms of okay this was a game in which it, it didn't work out so well but today I learned that you know when I have a putt that I really want to make I tend to come out of it early and move my head or something like that and that that learning I can take into my next game and, and start to maybe work on that a little bit. And so now I have a greater awareness. And I think that's largely what we're talking about in many ways is the awareness. Piece. Well, I, I would tell you that in the, uh, I started, I came back to golf in 2013. I only played a little bit in 2014. I didn't play much for the first half of the season. Then I went through a, a chaotic breakup and then I played a lot of golf from about the middle of August to the end of 2014. If I had videotaped my swing, on uh, any moment in that summer, it doesn't look a lot different than it does now. The difference between making cuts and not making cuts had nothing really to do with my ability to hit a, uh, you know, a draw five iron into a back left pin. It had more, it, it's, it's so my swing might be three to 5% better, maybe even seven, I don't know, but not, a, I wouldn't even say it's 10% better. I mean, there are parts of it that are, that are, very different but for the most part overall the biggest change is you know a little bit of strategy and and a lot of just acceptance because when you can accept making a triple bogey chances are the next hole will not be a double bogey whereas my mo was i would be going along like a lot of us make a triple bogey then make a double then a bogey and finally a par and as i pointed out in the show many many times my proudest moments over the last couple of summers are what I do after a bad hole because it has nothing to do with your golf swing. It has everything to do with your attitude as, as to what's happening in that moment because like I said, bad shots sting, they're disappointing, it's crappy, but it's what you do on, in your next opportunity. And you know, I think, and I know as to finish by saying how I would, and I'll use your phrase, how this would connect to somebody listening is that the enjoyment in the game as you've said ironically helps you play better because if your head's in the right spot then you can make a triple or whatever is a bad hole for you and then move on to the next hole knowing that you know that's done and now i'm going to try and do the best i can on this particular hole perfect and i have what I think is the perfect story to tack on to that. So um, I've been working with this fellow for over a year now, uh, former golf professional, got back his amateur status, and he's a scratch player, um, and he's, he's, he's living in the south right now. And so he's playing, so his club championship, two rounds. Early in the back nine, now we're talking a guy who's a scratch player, comes to a hole with water in front, he put he tops, and I kid you not, man, five consecutive shots into the water. Five consecutive. I think he had like a three-wood in his hand or, so, or I don't know what he had, but anyways, it was a longer shot. Five consecutive top shots. He makes a 14 on the hole. Proceeds to make four birdies coming in shoots something like a 78 second round 
shoot 70, wins the senior club C wow. at his club <laughs> with a freaking 14 in the first round. Yeah. And like that, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, 14 usually means you don't, you know, you don't finish the round or you finish the round, you go home, but you finish it by shooting 92. Exactly. Exactly. And so I was talking with this. So through the work that we've done, he's recommended me to this professional who, who uh, we're talking about starting to work together. And he's just like amazed. He says, he says, I want to be able to do what he did to be able mm -hmm. to shoot a 14. And what was interesting is that it didn't, the, the, the fellow who shot 14, I, I think largely it was like, okay, well, to use your phrase, that doesn't happen every day. You don't see that every day. And just, yep. he rolled on. And that, to me, boy, if there's an example of resiliency, capital R, that would be it. You know, when we first started 50-plus uh, podcasts ago, you know, our whole, you know, our sort of billboard was, you know, we can take six shots off your game. And, 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 I, and, and, and in a way, we can. I mean, I mean, we used to concentrate a little bit more on strategy in terms of the, the getting the ball around the course stuff. But, you know, that guy's a perfect example of, you know, you can, you can make whatever that number is on a par five, like a nine over par, and then birdie a bunch of holes. And uh, although that, it is, when you were talking, I'm like, gosh, you know, 14, even if you make four birdies, that just turns that into a 10. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> exactly. or, you know, like, uh, like, you know, you can make a double and make a couple birdies and you sort of even things out. But you got to make a lot of birdies to get rid of a 14. Like, that's insane. Yeah, isn't that a great story? It is a great story. That means if he shot 78, that for the other 17 holes, he was uh, basically nine over. So he was ended up being like, let's say, six. Oh, he's three under for the rest of the round. And that's very, I mean, a scratch player can Well, I mean, that. Exactly. Exactly. The thing is, it's possible at whatever level you are to continue on the round and have a great rest of the round. It's just not probable for most exactly people. Exactly right. Well, Tom Watson, I think, in the Masters did something like that. I remember he had some round where he made a 10. And then he just, they just the birdies just kept coming. And largely what, so how is that possible? A lot of people might be going, oh my God, I'd be going insane. Yeah. You know, I, you know, whatever club I had hit five times in the water, that club would go in the water and they don't float. So what allows a player to do that? Well, one thing it's, it's not being identified with, you know, I don't live and die with my shots. It doesn't, it doesn't say who I am. Well, no, and, and you know, how many times have we heard, I'll get back to Watson in a second, but how many times, and in quite recently watching golf, you'll hear a professional say, you know, or announcers talking about, you know, he, he was at one point in the first round, five over par. Right. And since then has been 14 under because, and, and the word that I use um, is they, because as a professional, and you can be a professional without being paid to play golf, but if you look at it, in a professional, cold, calculated manner, you go, I've made birdies in a round of golf before, and so after I make the 10 or the 14, although that is extreme, after I make the triple, let's say, I can go, you know what, I've made three birdies in a round, so getting back to being a, what amateurs do is they act like babies. Right. I, know, I know this, because I did. 
Whereas Watson, me too. You know, I mean, Curtis Strange, the famous story of the Masters. Curtis Strange shoots eighty in, um, I think, the mid eighties Masters first round, and he has a chance to win on Sunday. Now he didn't, but the fact is he put himself in a position after shooting eight Tiger Woods ninety seven Masters shoots forty on the front nine. Right. But professionals in any uh, discipline act in a professional manner, which is, well, I, that happened there. You know, if I may. Um, and yes, you can. I give you permission. You know, doing what I do in the wintertime, which is stand-up comedy. And I was on stage four times last week um, and in various different, you know, clubs. I did a couple of rooms where there were 300 people, you know, thunderous noise. I did a show on on Friday, there was 30 people, and I, you know, to put it in a golf analogy, I shot, uh, you know, a solid a solid 86. Like yeah, there, yeah. there were some there were some triple bogeys in that performance, but the fact is, I I, you know, left the stage. You know, I felt a little bit of a sting. You know, because like, gosh, you know, I just, you know, I ate it in front of all these people, um, but. Two days later, I came on stage like that. Never, I came on not wearing that. In fact, that night I went home and I was kind of like, oh, well, I knew what I did wrong. I thought about that. Maybe I gripped it a little tight there on yeah. 16. But I didn't think I'm not good anymore. I didn't you know, want to drive my car off a bridge. <laughs> I just examined what it was I thought you know, I could learn from it. But it's, it's hard for us golfers sometimes not to wear bad shots, not only going forward, but during the round. It's like we can't shake that stink, but professionals yeah. do. Right. And I think that one of the things is that people talk about it so much, it's a cliche that, that it seems almost empty to them, but it's being in the present moment. Yes. Because the present moment is always now. That's all we have is now. So what's the past? Well, it's just your memories of it from where you are now. What is the future? It's, it's kind of what I project, what I anticipate, what I visualize from a place of now. So what professionals, I think, really do is that ability just to bring themselves back to this moment. Because, and then what happens is, is they, they're not caught up in, in all that spinning of what does that mean about me? Oh crap! You know that what we kind of jokingly refer to is the vortex of death, the spiral down as the as the questions go, and you know back into you know next thing you know you're back in grade nine with your phys ed teacher pointing his finger at you saying you suck. No, it's being able to stay in that present moment and just go well, like you said, you don't see that every day or a joke or something. That's what professionals are able to do more than the rest of us mortal folk you know the irony of um the irony of stand-up or performance or you know public speaking and, I, and i've said this to you you know off the off the show because you do some toastmasters and you've had to deliver some speeches i i say you know it's funny the audience wants the best for you <clears throat> yeah. excuse me and in a way you could make it a, an analogous to golf you know, golf isn't conspiring against you, even though it feels that way sometimes. Yes. You know, why does golf hate me is something I've said before as a joke. <laughs> you know, like you make a nine, you think, gosh, golf hates me. Exactly. But all it is is your own projections on the situation. You know, right. when, I'm, when I'm in a foursome 
and you're the first guy off the tee and you snap hook it into a conservation area, of course you get flushed and you feel a little whatever. But as you get older in the game, you realize the three people, because you think, I wonder what they think of that. What they really think of that, if they think anything at all, is I'm glad that wasn't me. Exactly. But they don't think poorly of you because all of them have done the same thing. You know, and when I'm doing stand-up, you know, and, and, you know, like I said, I had a, an amazing show Thursday. Friday, I shot a million. Like, thir- <laughs> I, I'm, I'm serious. Like, Thursday, it was like shooting even par. I go out the next night, and I think I'm uh, king shit, and I just tank, like, grossly. But all the guys in the room that know me, first of all, they've seen me before. And secondly, they're all thinking, glad that wasn't me. Yes. But they don't think you're they don't think you're not good anymore. It, it, no. it, it doesn't in fact the, the real learning is it doesn't matter what they think. So two days later I go on, this was Sunday night on Family Day weekend, and the, the it was the biggest audience I've been in front of since I came back to stand up. There was three hundred people, standing room only, and it cool. was electric. But I went there and I reminded myself that my job, because I was hosting, that my job is to connect. My job as, is, and that's what a golfer, uh, it's almost what we we're saying about golf. Our job is to connect to why we're doing it, not this particular day that we're doing it on. Yeah, love that, love that. And so uh, what I think is happening, so if in the stand-up, th- if you're connecting, you're not going through all this harsh stuff. To, oh, that joke bombed, okay, yes. I, I suck. And, and having like an emotional, visceral, almost physical reaction which is just going to impair you in your ability to just step into the next line you're going to go to in, a, in an easy way. Same thing in golf, same thing when you're in any other kind of environment. Think of a salesperson. You know, it's a big ticket item, going to be a big commission, maybe hit bonus. Oh, uh, that part's not going so well. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you have that kind of, oh, gosh, that – if again in that place of judgment that self-referential thinking it's kind of like it's kind of like the hamster on the wheel of the tape loop once that sucker starts going and you got that internal dialogue you're disembodied disconnected and i think back and i this might be helpful for some people that are still you know embroiled in this i think back to the maddest i've ever been on a golf course the most petulant you know juvenile uh behavior and I think it's when I'm the least connected to what I to what I'm doing there. To mm-hmm. I'm not I'm no longer in my body. I'm connected to all those, you know, vortex of uh, negative thoughts, and 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 I'm not I'm no longer in the moment. And I'll tell you, as a comic, you know, I, I had a couple of sets. You know, some pretty I've had some pretty. Uh, you know, they're never horrific. You know, like maybe 86 is an exaggeration. Um, but I never do, I never bomb where I get no laughs. But there are nights when it's just not flowing. And there are those nights I look back, there are nights when I'm just not in the room. I'm not really there. Yeah. I'm in my head trying to remember the bit, trying to do it perfectly. Where when you stay connected to the room, a couple Thursdays ago, I was on just doing six minutes and it was going pretty well and I it was going very well. And I got to the end and I wanted to try this joke and I just couldn't get it out of my mouth. And I'm getting the light. So the light says, uh, usually they ask you before, do you want the light two minutes or a minute? I always get the light a minute before I'm supposed to be done. So I get a, a sense of wrapping it up. So I see the light 
And I've started this joke and I butch I I literally shank the punchline. But the audience <laughs> the audience likes me so much at this point that I said, Okay, hang on a second, that is not what I meant to say. And I I'm gonna say I'm gonna try it again. I tried it again. I booted it again. And then I'm getting the light and now they're flicking the light and I've gotta get <laughs> off the stage. The guy like, with the hook is coming out. And so I go, I say, listen, I'm having, obviously, this is a great joke. I say, <laughs> this is a great <laughs> joke. But it's, I, so I went and got my notebook. And I, I stood there for a second. And I took a big breath. And it was a really weird, awkward moment. I said, hang on a second. I looked at my notebook. And I read the punchline. Now, they had sort of got a sense of what the punchline was. But when I finally got all the words out correctly... They gave me such an ovation because they were so happy that I that it, 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 they were just so happy that I didn't. How do I describe it? They just want to know that you're still connected to them. Yeah, and you're a human. And I'm human, and I I screwed it up, but I was determined to get this thing out right, and I finally had to go read it off the page, and they loved it, and I said thank you. The moral of the story is. You asked, I was talking about seeing my daughter. When my daughter, when all new comics, all new golfers, all new tournament players, we all make the same mistakes. And the mistakes I saw her make is when she fumbled something, you could see it, it, you know, it stopped her being connected because she was now worried about having made a mistake. Right. Whereas when you get a little bit more seasoned like I am now, or, you know, when I'm, when I remember to stay connected, anything can go wrong and it doesn't matter. No, you get because you, you have your reps in. You've you've developed right. a sense of resiliency, so that then that, that when you know something happens, you're not living and dying with it. Like the emotional charge in your body that you might have had when you first started would have been like, you know, in terms of like if ten is like a flames coming out of your butt, you would it might could have been a seven. Now maybe it's a three or a four. So it comes and you're just able to more deal with it, and that's through experience. And you know, I had a similar thing. Uh, so I give these talks on Mo Norman, um, and I was at Whistlebear Golf Club on Thursday night, and you know I've, I've got like the laptop and the you know, the PowerPoint, and so I'm going through, and I get to about sixth or seventh slide, and so <laughs> suddenly I get this Microsoft update thing come on, and you know the PowerPoint goes down. It's like, oh boy. So you know, it's. You know, I remember it happened to Bill Gates, so it happens to everybody. But, you know, I just went, just keep breathing. And <laughs> I said that to everybody. I said, oh, I said, my mom said when stuff like this happens, just keep breathing. And she's 86, so she knows a lot. Mm -hmm. So the whole time I do, I'm just kind of like working away. And now finally it comes back up. But so the moral of this story is I didn't panic. I just stayed with it. And I just talked to the to my audience in the same way that maybe they would talk to somebody. Oh boy, here we go! Yep. Isn't this always the way? And but they were for me. Absolutely, they're for you, and they're they're willing to they're and they'll stay with you. They'll stay with you as long as you stay with them. But if you leave the room, that's what happens to audiences when they turn on you. Is that they can tell you're not there anymore. Well, what do you mean by leave the room? Does it mean like you get petulant and oh brother well, or? This has died. Mean, some, or... Yeah, some guys just start to, you know, if, if they're not getting laughs, they'll, they'll attack the audience. But what I mean leave the room is, you know, when I'm in my head trying to remember materials, usually when I do the worst, when mm -hmm. I just accept that I've got some stuff planned, I'm going to do it the best I can. Like I'm going on stage tonight and I'm going to do like 10 minutes 
And the last time I was in this room, there was a bunch of big comics there, guys that I really respect, some pretty famous dudes, guys I started out with years ago, hadn't seen me, heard I'd been back doing stand-up. And I, uh, I tanked because I was so in my brain about what are these guys going to think about right. me and you know and, and and I learned that lesson I was like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what, what the guys on the T think it doesn't matter what the guys in the back of the room think because as long as you are connected in, in the golf sense as long as you stay connected to as you say why we're here what what is the real enjoyment I get you know like right. I mean, I told stories last summer about, you know, first round of the uh, senior am, you know, I'd gone from like just hitting it so good on the range where I, I hit my, I hit an iron off the first tee at uh, whatever course it was, a short par four. I fatted it so hard, <clears throat> I, I almost missed the ball. And that electricity that goes into your body is like, what? What has <laughs> happened to me? But, you know, you, you can take some breaths and go to the next shot and, and move on. Same in stand-up, you know, it's like, you know, as long as I'm there looking at people's eyes and seeing, reacting to them, it doesn't matter what the guys in the back of the room think. Yeah. Because be, no, finish your thought. I'm sorry. I'm well, is it is it that like in golf in a tournament? So let's say you're in the you're in the Canadian Mid Am qualifier. A lot of good players there. You want to bring your A game. So I got to think that's much the same as you know a lot of great comics industry people there are going to be there people who are going to want to um book you whatnot are going to be there you want to bring your a game but it's in the trying so hard to have the a game that we just get in our way and in fact i think that most of the time our b game is just good enough oh yeah and it's just allow things to happen rather than force them and again, keep that sense of, okay, let's roll with what let's goes see what on. happens. You know, it's funny because I was talking to a buddy of mine about, because we talked about where we were going to be qualifying for some of these tournaments. You know, again, it's only a couple months away. And he said, I said, oh, I tried to put in for that place. And he goes, oh, a lot of good players there. And mm -hmm. I said, yep, there's going to be, you know, good players, you know, everywhere. But, you know, I don't, I don't feel like that should preclude me from wanting to, to qualify there because on that day, we're not talking about the good players being Bubba Watson and, you know, Jordan Spieth. They're just a bunch of schmoes that have day jobs. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, they're just guys like us. You know, may, maybe there's lots of guys better than me, but I'm going to be better than some of the guys too. You know, so I said, well, that's, that's great because, you know, it'll be good to play with some good players. I like that. You know, it's, it's funny because... um. Sunday night, I played uh, stand-up with the best comic I've worked with since I came back. And uh, I just watched how he conduct his business. You know, and that's what I get from playing with better players. You get to sort of see how somebody goes about their... Absolutely. And, and so I, I would say, you know, because that's I'm connecting this to our listeners. You know, lots of times people have said this to me, and I'm sure even to you as well. Not even to you, but to you as well. Oh, you wouldn't want to play with me. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I'm and not good enough. I'm not good enough. And I'm, the, I, and I'm the opposite. I want to play with the best people I can because you want to see not just how you stack up, but also what, what is it they do? Exactly. Um, and, and, yeah. And good players, what, what I find with really good players, like those players that you like, there are you know, good players who act like dicks. I mean, there are those guys. Yep. But most of the players who I find that are are good accomplished players 
they just roll along and whether they shot 80 or 71 it's still fun to hang in the grill room and have a you know an adult beverage or something with them um and they just don't they just don't live and die with things and so it's whatever shows up because i think that most of those people they they the game has such a special part in their lives that they just don't torture themselves with it they're happy to enjoy this time they have they enjoy the sport so much why would you waste it you know beating the crap out of yourself you know with that and like just like for sake of example um and i kind of talk about learning moments so we're doing this skype thing i don't have my cord it's telling me i got eight percent battery left <laughs> So um, what I could do is either roar upstairs and and, and and just keep yammering at you, or we can shut this thing down. Oh, soon. you're saying right now you've only got eight percent? Well, I, listen, we're at the uh, forty-five minute mark. That's uh, okay. that's so enough. that's enough for yeah, okay. That's enough. That's enough. Yeah. You and me for anybody. Yeah, I don't. Well, to steal your line, you know, I get to a certain point, I get tired of hearing myself. Um, but like Rory McIlroy. Uh, again, you know, people are saying, oh, he's not putting well. You know, is Rory going to win a major? He hasn't won for four years. Well, you know, Rory McIlroy will be fine. He doesn't live and die with things. He's missed cuts in majors. He comes back to play as well. I, I think he's a, a good example of, of, obviously, you know, a good player, one of the best in the world, who doesn't live and die with this thing. Because his you imagine playing at that level with the money that's on the line for them, mm-hmm. you know, prestige reputation oh yeah sponsorships you know the pay for the two homes or however many homes he's got if you lived and died with that you i think would have a very short career well that's a nice place to stop tim um o'connor uh you can get a hold of him at o'connorgolf.ca that's it correct and uh tim guys uh, the blogging and um we're gonna put out a uh, release to our our feek our feeks, our folks, um, our fans. about our um, our fans and folks about our um, end of March. We, we're thinking end of March. We you know we could always move it to the middle of April, but we're going to try and get a few of us together in a room, talk about why we golf, talk about maybe some of the things we could change and some of the uh, some of the techniques that we're talking about. Um, I think that uh, we've all you know we learn a lot from each other, and uh, I look forward to sharing some ideas with uh, some of our friends. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'm gonna pop out some, um, uh, put something on our Facebook page about it, and send some stuff out. Just a little bit more, sort of meat on the bone, what it's about. Uh, yeah, you're gonna pay for it. It's gonna be probably the best fifty bucks you've spent in a while. Easily, so I think it'll be awesome. So uh, great seeing you. I think our first Skype thing's been um, fairly successful. I've enjoyed watching you, and I hope that the audio <laughs> quality is what I'm looking for now this is great now you know now you never have to drive in here again i have the theme playing tim o'connor humble and uh, fredradio.com you can check out my uh, other show and uh we'll be uh, with you again soon all right bye-bye